Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Uh, well, let me add a good morning to you as, as well. My name is Tim. I serve as one of the pastors uh, here. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn it to Isaiah 56. That is where we'll be. Uh, but I want to pray. Pray for us really briefly and then jump into uh, what I've got. Let's pray. Uh, Father, would you bring your resurrection life into this space as, as we speak words from, or I speak words from Isaiah. Uh, may you show us what that means and where you want to take us. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tomorrow, a new year begins. And so imagine with me waking up on January 1st. Not tomorrow, not January 1, 2024, but a year from now, January 1, 2025. When you wake up on that morning one year from now, what do you hope will have happened in the previous year? How do you hope to grow, to change as a person? Who do you hope to become in 2024? If you could sum it up in one word, what you hope to see in 2024, what would that one word be? Now I know this is a totally cheeseball intro that like every pastor in the country is probably doing this morning at their church. New year, new you, like I know, but it doesn't mean it's not good. Or that these aren't questions worth asking. That where does the Father want to shepherd you in 2024? And this morning what I want to do from uh, this space is to ask that as a whole church community. Uh, Who do I hope that we become as a church community in the next year? As your pastor, if I could sum up one word what I hope for us as a church in the next year would be what would that that word be well here it is prayer my hope is that in the coming year we'll pursue with everything we have in us to become a house of prayer that's what the next five weeks are going to be about together as a church community it's it's uh, taking a break from preaching through texts of the bible and a topical series over the next few weeks to lay out some vision of where we're going as a church community. I've been here for two years now. I'm starting my third year and have tried to listen well and and have a sense of where God's directing us as a community. But also a year ago, we began uh, our Gather Initiative. And for the next five years, now that we're halfway through, we wanted to pause and look back at what what we wanted to be And to remind ourselves of that and look ahead to the final year of our our Gather initiative. So that's what the booklets are about. There's space for sermon notes in there. There's also uh, personal devotional questions. So take a morning this week and work through those. And then if you're in a small group, there's 
questions for your small group as, as well to talk through uh, what it is we'll be talking about in the next few, few weeks. But what we're talking about is what we talked about a year ago in Isaiah 56. And some of you, many of you weren't here a, a year ago for that conversation. And so we anchored uh, the Gather Initiative in Isaiah 56, verses 7 and 8. And we read these words of the prophet Isaiah in those verses. God speaks through Isaiah. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all people, all nations. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them beside those already gathered. God announces His intentions for His people to be a house of prayer for all people. And I want to deepen into that. That's where I want 2024 to go, to become a house of prayer, to pray. Because my belief is prayer is not just something that we do. Prayer does something to us. It makes something of us. That when we as a church pursue the presence of God, or we are a place of the presence of God, we become something in that. And that's what I want to talk about over the next five weeks Together And so this morning, I just want to lay out the why. Why do I hope this is the year of prayer? Or the year of deepening into prayer as a church community? Well, to start, the first thing I want to say is that a house of prayer will be a place of generous, sacrificial, others-centered love. I'm going to say that phrase a lot in the coming weeks. So I'll say it one more time so you can begin to catch the hang of it. But my belief is a, a, a place of the presence of God, a place of prayer, will be a generous, sacrificial, others-centered love. And so we are, we are actually living through the most massive religious shift in American history today. The people in our culture are leaving Christianity and the church in both historically significant but also very shocking numbers. So a few stats to, to put forward to you this morning that sociologists are, are looking at. First is that in 1971, only 9% of American adults said they had been to no religious services in the last year. So 9 out of 10 Americans went to church, even if it was just for one, uh, one moment in a year in 1971. Fifty years later, a couple years ago, same study asked the same question. They found 31% of Americans had not attended religious services in the previous year. That is, that is a shocking jump from 1 in 10 to 3 in 10 in just 50 years. Second statistic, 40, Amer 40 million American adults have left the church in the last 25 years. That is 15% of the adult population in our country. 15% of adults have left the church in just the last 25 years. We've never seen movement like this, either into religion or out of religion. And the third statistic, one that's near and dear to my heart, is, is this. That every year, one million millennials leave the church. Now, if you're like, what's a millennial? You're looking at one right now. 
Uh, it's someone who's typically born in the early 80s to the mid-1990s, or if that doesn't do anything for you, just imagine anyone uh, between Evan Dewey's age and my age. Evan's like bringing up the rear of millennials, and I'm like at the front end. So anyone in that gap, a million Evan Deweys and Tim Spambergs leave the church every year. And that's just stunning, because every, uh, it used to be that when you were in your late 20s, early 30s, and you started a family, you went back to church. Because nothing will show that you are a mess and you don't have it together more than having children or getting married. And being entirely afraid you're going to pass your mess on to your kids. So I need church. That's tend to be what happened, but that's not happening anymore. They're not coming back and actually they're leaving. And to those of us who follow Jesus and who want with everything in our bones to see more people coming to faith in Christ, we need to be asking why is this happening? What is causing this? Why are so many people walking through our doors never to return? And lots of people are going to give their own answers to this question. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to give you both the data, what the data is showing, and also my experience. I mean, I've spent the last five, six years of my life reading and trying to understand why is this happening? Because these are my friends. These are people I grew up in church with. And so there are lots of answers that have been given, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share one of my answers this morning to that question. Why are so many leaving? And I'll, I'll begin that answer by, or question by ask, answering uh, or by telling the story that in, in 2015, uh, with the launch team of really amazing people, I helped plant a church in a suburb of Kansas City, uh, Missouri. We were on the Kansas side. And any, uh, planting a church made me ask the question, why would anyone come to what we are doing? Because we met in a gym that could neither heat nor cool itself, which is not great in Kansas because in Kansas it gets cold. So our first Sunday meeting, it was like five degrees outside and the gym was like barely over 50. So I'm just looking out. Everyone's in their coats. They're cold. They're miserable. And it's like, why is anyone here right now? And then we found out in the summer it doesn't cool itself either. So it's like... Low 80s, 100% humidity in the gym. Now everyone's fanning themselves. They're sweating like we're preaching on hell every week. It's just not a great environment. And so I'm, I'm like, why is anyone coming to this? And, and asking those questions made me ask, what are we, I mean, what are we doing here right now? Why, why are we doing what we're doing right now? Because we all supply answers to those questions. And planning a church made me ask those questions. And I had a mentor at the time who, who supplied an answer to me. And, and basically, here's what he said. He says, Tim, you need to know who your customers are, who you are trying to get to come to your church. And you need to provide them with what they want, because if you provide them something they want, they will come to church. And as he told me that, I felt, I felt two things at the same time. One is I knew he was right. That is how I was thinking about church. And it's how most of us think about church. The church is a religious store with goods and services. And if we provide the right product to you, you will come. And that's how the American church currently functions. We choose churches based on what they provide for us. The quality or the lack thereof of the preaching, the kids' ministry, 
the music, and the donuts. Let's be honest, that's a part of it. And so when my mentor said these things to me, it's like, yeah, that's, that's true. But at the same time, I began to ask myself, is that what Jesus did? Did Jesus wander around Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea, asking himself, who are my customers? And what must I provide to them so they will join my movements? I don't think so. In fact, you actually find Jesus saying, hey, listen, if this isn't for you, that's okay. I'm not for everybody. I mean, read through the Gospels. The number of times Jesus sent people away as opposed to uh, try to entice them to come to him, it's a 100% ratio which, which direction he chose. And so to answer my question, why are so many people leaving the church? Because the church has become a religious store for goods and services, not a house of prayer. And that is not compelling to most people. And so come back to me to Isaiah 56. What causes the nations to be gathered back to God in Isaiah 56? It's because His people are a house of prayer. And you read through the verses, all of Isaiah 56, and what you find is people desiring to Sabbath with their God, to rest in Him and to worship Him. You find them desiring to serve Him, to offer sacrifices to Him. And you find them desiring to be marked by prayer, to live in His presence. And then when they, they become a house of prayer, what happens is the nations are then gathered to God's people because they are now the place of the presence of God. Other people want the presence of God, so they come. The, the, the nations are gathered into the house of prayer. So people are leaving the church in significant numbers because no one is interested in religious Walmart. And when we provide that to people, we come for a while, but it's not compelling. It's not passionate. It's not life-giving ultimately. And we, we only stay together as long as you're provided what you like or we're provided what we like. And then when that is over, we just go to the next church. And can I tell you, non-Christians don't find that compelling. And they've left. Because they can get better goods and services than what we can provide. Because most of my conversations in ministry have not been, Tim, we are not experiencing the presence of God enough. We must, we must go to prayer. We must see more conversions. No, it's, hey, Tim, I don't like the music. My kids are struggling because they don't like it at church. Why don't all the pastors have beards? That's, I made that one up. But I, more of you should be saying that to me. And I know this is, I know this is, I'm, I'm the king of saying awkward things. Because some of you have said those things to me. And I, just, I want you to know, I'm not, ju- I'm not judging anyone in this room. Because we pastors have led the way in thinking, having you think this way about church. And I also want you to know it's okay to critique what we do here. That's important. We miss things. We get things wrong. And we want to be more faithful to Jesus. And we need your help in in doing that. Uh, But I also am putting my cards on the table that I don't want to manage a religious store who provides goods and services to try to attract enough people to come on a Sunday morning. 
And the reason I don't want to do that is because that vision of church kills prayer. A consumeristic vision of church kills the presence of God. Author David Miller wrote a book called A Praying Church, and here's what he says about that. He writes, Consumers need to be catered to, entertained. They can also be cranky, so Sunday morning must be slick. This, of course, makes prayer merely peripheral because praying together requires discipline, work, and faith, all of which are weak in consumers. I mean, contrast that vision of church to Isaiah 56, a house of prayer for all people. A lot of awkward people are included in that all people, including you and including me. But the vision of Isaiah 56 is as we gather in the presence of God, we become a place where he can invite others, the nations, to be and live in his presence, right? My house will be called a house of prayer for all people, all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. So as we gather around the Father in prayer, what happens to us? We join with them in looking for those not yet gathered to the Father. Our eyes don't turn inward to what we want, but outward to those who have not yet experienced the presence of God. And so why are so many people fleeing the church? Because we're a store of religious goods and services, not a house of prayer. And when the church is a shop for religious goods and services, the primary questions we bring into this room are, what do I want? What about me? And if I don't get what I want, I'm going somewhere else. But what's the vision of a house of prayer? It's a place of generous, sacrificial, other-centered love that partners with God in taking his presence to the nations. Because what people need is not a slick sermon, good music, or interesting kids programming. They need the presence of God. And that's all we have, ultimately. We could do a lot of things, but that's what Jesus came to bring into this world. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. The presence of God is invading among you. And, and we have oriented so much of church vision to things unrelated to the presence of God. So just imagine this with me. Let's say a neighbor of yours or a coworker, family member, who you want to come to Jesus, they, they come to you tomorrow and say, I want to know more about God. Can I start attending church with you? I need to be honest, that's going to ruin your church experience. Church can no longer be about you if you have someone who's not a Christian sitting next to you Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You have to show them around. You have to explain to them what's happening in the service. You have to make sure they don't get lost in our building. They might ask you questions. What's that weird bald man saying and why is he talking so long? Now church is, is going to be through their experience. Would you want that? Would you ruin your church experience so that someone else can know Jesus? Or imagine a neighbor knocks on your door and says, I'm going through a divorce. I don't know what to do. Will you help me? Well, do you have the resources to be a person of other-centered, generous, sacrificial love to be, to be a, a presence of God to them, to give them the time required 
Are you willing to give up your leisure time to skip another bear's loss? <laughs> to give your, out, your neighbor the hours they need. The presence of God they're going to need. Or better than that, are you that person for them now? So that when their life falls apart, as ours inevitably do, they know there's a person of generous, sacrificial, other-centered love they can go to because you've experienced that love from God and now you're his presence in the world. And my belief is people no longer experience Christians as the generous, sacrificial, other-centered presence of God. And so they've left. And they're not interested in religious Walmart, a community that bickers over religious goods and services. They have not seen the church as a place of power because the church isn't seeking the presence of God in prayer, but our own preferences and what we want from a church. And so that's what's behind my desire when I say, I want to be a house of prayer. I want the one thing we offer to Chesterton, Valpo, Portage, Porter, you name the town, is God is in this place. And he knows you and has known you since you were knit together in your mother's womb. And we will be his presence to you until you experience his presence and follow him. So I know that raises the question, what does that look like? Or what will that look like? And actually, I want to invite you to pray about that question. To seek God and to ask the Father. Father, first, how will I become a person of prayer in 2024? How do I become a house of prayer? Just my own life. But then secondly, to ask the question, okay, Lord, for this church community, how might we become a house of prayer in 2024? And I want to be clear, I have answers to those questions. Things I would love to do. But I believe it would be wrong for me to, to supply those answers in this sermon. I believe this community, by seeking our Father, will find the answers the Father has for us in becoming a place of his presence in a house of prayer. And so my, I, I have answers, yes, but my hope in the coming days and weeks is that my email inbox will be filled with what you sense God may be inviting us into, into how to become a house of prayer. Emailing what this is, what the Lord's laying this on my heart. Might, might it look like this? And ultimately, this is what the Gather Initiative has been about. I know it's, there's buildings, there's ministry initiatives, all of that. But underneath all of that is that we want to gather ourselves before God to say, use us. We want to be your presence in this world, your house of prayer. And when we gather ourselves before God, when we become a house of prayer, we become the kind of people God can trust us with to send us to people he is calling to himself right now in Portage, in Valpo, in Porter, in Chesterton, that he's, he's drawing people to himself now, that in this next year, we'll come to know him. And maybe I should even start there. Do you believe that? That there are neighbors in your neighborhood, that there are classmates you go to school with, coworkers you're working with, family members you've been walking through life with for a year, who God's going to finally catch up to and name as his own this year. And becoming a house of prayer ultimately it's about partnering with God and his, extending his presence to the world. So what, what does that look like? I, we want to answer that together. But I do know it, it includes this, that, that becoming a house of prayer is ultimately about access. 
what we have access to. And a few years ago, I had the chance to be in the radio booth for an Indianapolis Colts and Kansas City Chiefs game. And I was in the, the Chiefs booth. I knew the, the Chiefs radio person, and it was, it was an amazing experience. And after the game was over, he asked me, hey, do you want to go into the Chiefs locker room? I says, of course, <laughs> yes. So I go in there, and this is, this is pre-Patrick Mahomes. So Alex Smith was the quarterback. I see Andy Reid, the head coach. I see the future Mr. Taylor Swift sitting over in the corner, <laughs> Travis Kelsey. And my belief is if any of you were offered access into your favorite sports team's locker, you would say yes. <laughs> I want to get in that room and meet those people. And so, I, listen, I know I started with some depressing stats, and this is a little bit of a prophetic sermon about how many people are leaving and why they're leaving the church. But you need to understand I'm neither defeated nor hopeless Maybe a little discouraged, but I'm not hopeless. Because in Isaiah 56, we have a vision. God has given us a vision that when we access the throne room, when we live as a house of prayer, the nations will be gathered to us, to God. And so if I walked around the Chiefs locker room and all of NFL players, how much more should people who live in Chesterton, Porter, Portage, Valpo, walk into this place and see all of the saints of God walking around, a community full of people who, have, who know and have been known by God and not be in awe of what they find here? Because we live in the presence of God, a community full of people who know the living God and as such have become generous other-centered and sacrificial with our love to this world. You think about Jesus' life, where it all ended. A lot of commentators would say where Jesus ultimately got himself into the most, the most trouble is when he went into the temple and, and drove people out with a whip and turned tables over. If you remember that moment, Jesus quoted Isaiah 56. He said, this is, this is to be a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of robbers. And what he was, he's saying a lot in that, but what he's saying for us this morning was that the Gentiles had one place they could pray in the temple. And the Israelites, the Jewish people, who were to, to be Isaiah 56, had set up a marketplace in the court of the Gentiles. Money transactions, buying animals for sacrifices, all of which was okay, that needed to happen. But the Gentiles had nowhere to pray. Nowhere to access the presence of God because the people of God had, had shut them out in the way they were, they were doing their religion. They literally set up a religious store in the court of the, of the Gentiles and the Gentiles had nowhere to worship. And I wonder if this, we're living through the same thing. We've set up our own preferences and religious store, what, what we want church to be and the world around us just wants access to the Father. And we're busy on other things. <laughs> and yet even in that, what, did, what does Jesus do? <laughs> you guys are the worst. I'm going back up to heaven, right? No. He, he became who he is, a person of generous, sacrificial, other-centered love. And he died for the people who had made the religion about them, not him. That to his last breath and to... On to eternity, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is a generous, other-centered, sacrificial being who pours out his love to people who don't receive him. And the only way you and I will ever become like that 
as if our entire life is built in living in his presence, becoming a house of prayer for all people. And, and so now we're, we're going to transition into, uh, into communion. And communion is a, it's a practice of the presence of God, where we come into his table, where his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us. And so if you're, if you're a Christian, if your faith is in Jesus, we want you to come to his table. Uh, come in groups of five to seven, take the bread, dip it into the juice, eat it together at the instruction of those who are serving you. Um, if you're not yet a Christian, or maybe you're one of the millions who's walked away from the church in the last the last few years or decades, we just want you to know, first of all, there's no judgment for why you, why you left. <laughs> I named some reasons why. Maybe you just didn't experience God and, and you gave up after a while. And we just want you to know we're really glad you're here. Uh, we believe God loves you. We believe he's never stopped chasing after you, nor will he ever. And <clears throat> while communion may not be the meal for you quite yet, we believe God's pursuing you even now. And we invite you to ask him, God, show me. Where you've been present to me, even as I've been not present um, to you. And so as, as we do that, I also want to invite this to become a house of prayer for the next few minutes. A few weeks ago, we had someone visit, and they're like, uh, communion's too long, I didn't like it, I'm never coming back. And we're, we're kind of okay with that. Because um, you've probably been in a hurry all week, even though you're supposed to be on vacation. And for a few minutes, could you just stop and, and pray? And let me invite you to consider three things to pray through over these next few minutes as we take communion in a slow and deliberate manner. The first is, um, is how. Uh, God, how um, can I become a house of prayer in the next, um, next year? Or how we can become a, a house of prayer together in the next year. Prayer two is help. God, help me to be a, a person of prayer in the presence of God. And third is, is who? Uh, who in your life right now has God placed you next to to be, to, be his pre, to be his house of prayer that they might be gathered home to the Father? Uh, so how, how, do, how do we do this? Help us do this, and who are we called to do this to? Um, and for the next few minutes, we have space just to pray and go slow and to be present to our God and to be a house of prayer. So if your faith is in Jesus, uh, after you're ready, we invite you to his table. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.